You're listening to audio from The Village Church, a community that's formed by the gospel and sent on God's mission, gathering weekly in the heart of downtown Hamilton, Ohio. For more information about The Village or to connect with us, you can find us online at myvillagechurch.com. Uh, our focal passage is found in John chapter 17, verses 1 through 19. John chapter 17, verses 1 through 19. You can follow along in your Bibles. Should be on the screen. If you don't have a Bible this morning, uh, we would love to provide one to you. Stop by the Connect desk, and we can get you one there. John 17, verse 1. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you, since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God. And Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now that they know that everything that you have given me is from you, For I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them and have come to know in truth that I came from you, and they have believed that you sent me. I am praying for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. And I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, and that they may be one, even as we are one. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost except the son of destruction, that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I am coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, and they, that they may know, that they may, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I would not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrated myself, that they may be sanctified in truth. This is God's word. You can have a seat, and the kids can now be dismissed to their class. I know what you're thinking. There's, there's not really much in there to talk about. I'm thinking the same thing. My name is Michael. I'm one of the pastors here. Thanks so much for hanging out with us. Can you hear me okay? Okay. Hey. You guys over there missed my joke. Jeez. We're off to a rough start. Uh, My name is Michael. I'm one of the pastors. Thanks so much for hanging out with us. Let me pray. And then, man, we're going to wade through as much of this as we can. And I, I do want you to know, like, I'm declaring like a high level of just a whole bunch of stuff today. So if you're a doodler, Tanya, just doodle. That's fine. But try to engage your brain um, and, and interact with, with the truths that are in this passage. Um, and then, man, we get a process. Later today, we get a process in community group this week. And then we'll kind of hit on the back end of this prayer that Jesus prays next week as well. And so kind of a two-parter in that sense. God, thanks so much for your provision and your goodness and even getting to celebrate 
uh, new people that are, are joining this community and, and mission here as the village and through the village. And, and we know that, gosh, we are just a tiny drop in the greater work that you've been up to for so long. And we just ask that today um, that, that you would humble us, you would let us sit under your word together, that you would conform us to the image of your son, that you would let us find our delight and our joy in the fullness of who you are. And um, would you just change us? Would you transform us? Let us delight in you above all. In Jesus' name, <clears throat> amen. Pay no attention to the man behind the curtain. All right? It's a pretty climactic line from a, a climactic scene in the movie Wizard of Oz. Um, pay no attention to the man behind the curtain. Uh, in that kind of scene, truth is revealed. And, and the curtain was pulled back on the, on the wizard and who the wizard truly was. And up to that point... Uh, the wizard was a legend. He was a, a wish maker. He was, you need something, you just follow the, the yellow brick road, and, and man, the wizard, he will let you in on life, on all the things, right? But in that moment, what happened was, Dorothy and Tin Man and Scarecrow and the gang were all there, and, and they were looking at what they thought was the wizard, and, and he was big, and there was big bursts of fire, and the, the volume of his voice was booming. And they looked over... And Toto, that little dog, too, he, uh, he, he tugged on the curtain. And what they saw was the wizard wasn't what was in front of them, but he was this guy, like, turning things and pulling levers and speaking into a microphone. And, and in that moment, uh, he was exposed, and he was found to be an imposter. He wasn't all-powerful anything. He had some lasers and a sound system and some flamethrowers uh, he looked like one to be feared, and, and he looked like he was impressive, but, but it turns out it was, it was just a show. It was literally smoke and mirrors, and often that's how legends work. Like, the, the story is bigger than kind of what we find out to be true about that person after all, and in, and in some way, the story or the legend of Jesus was set up the same way. To this point, there's this, this new guy, his name is Jesus, and he, he comes onto the scene and, and he begins to like change people's uh, lives. And, and he does some, some cool tricks and, and he makes some claims, some like really bold claims, and, and people begin to talk and, and the crowd buzzes and some love him and they, they commit to follow him wherever he leads. And others hate him, and they commit to, to kill him, to remove him from this earth. And he presents a path that leads to the fullness of life. In great contrast, what was exposed in that last scene uh, of the wizard in Wizard of Oz, uh, Jesus is, is actually not like that wizard at all. In Jesus, when the end is near... And he gets exposed. We have just the opposite. He reveals greater realities. And it turns out that he was actually maybe even downplaying the fullness of who he was the whole time. 
And, and unlike Oz, what's revealed when the curtain is pulled back is that, that he's even, even greater than they ever could have believed. And because of that, he invites them into a greater reality than they could have ever imagined. And so we're in John chapter 17 of, of 21 chapters, and we've been kind of journeying for a long time. And what we see here is like the end is near. The end of Jesus is near. And, and what we see in this prayer from Jesus is, is when Jesus pulls back the curtain on who he is, we truly learn who we are. Like, when the curtains are drawn, the show is about to begin. That's true for the stage, and, and we've seen that lots of ways in life, but this show of creation has been running for a long time. But, but Jesus pulls back the veil just a little bit. Even in this prayer, he invites them in the room and us into some greater realities. And, and just before this, what Pastor Scott talked about last week, he says, I will speak to you plainly. And they're like, yes, finally. You're saying something that like we can understand here in this moment. And here, he presses in a little bit, I'm speaking to you plainly, and, and now I'm speaking to you with urgency. Because he's been saying time and time again that the time is near. And since he started his, his uh, ministry, Three plus years ago, he's been saying the time is near. Like, repent and believe. Turn from your ways and, and trust me. Like, the, the time is, is coming to an end, and here he says it's time. Like, it, it is time. The end is here. And so what we're going to see is, is we're going to look at three, three things that he declares in this prayer. And, and he tells us that it's time to show them who I am. It's, it's time to show them who they are, and it's time to show them how to live, right? So right now, it's, it's time to show them who I am, right? Jesus says this in John 17, verse one through five. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven, and he said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that the son may glorify you. Since you have given him authority over all flesh, there's just so much stuff in these verses. Transition of authority. You've given me all of uh, the authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. That's what Jesus says. And this is eternal life. What is it? That they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. What, what is eternal life? Is, th is that you know the fullness of God. That you know Jesus. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. Now he's been dropping like breadcrumbs of this stuff all along the way. But just imagine you're just hanging out and Jesus starts praying and then he says, hey, like, you know, Father, he's praying to God. He says, glorify me like it, like it was before uh, all the earth ever was. And they're just like, what? What? See, the Wizard of Oz experience, it begs the question for us, who is Jesus? Is he uh, a spiritual 
guru? One of many? Is he a good dude who, who confirms? what you believe is true about this life? Is he another Buddha who just models good and godliness? Who is Jesus? And I'll tell you this, there's not one single question more important in all of your life that you get to wrestle with. Not one other question in all of, what will I do and who will, whatever those questions are, are, are tiny compared to how you handle this question, who is Jesus? So after speaking plainly, Jesus does what anyone does when they're ready to move on to something else. He closes in prayer, right? That's what he does. He, he, he's talking to them, and then he, he begins to pray, but this is no insignificant prayer. He models the prayer that he's been telling us that we have access to in him the whole time. There's no temple and in this room, there's no sacrifice, there's no bloodshed. Jesus would be all of those things. And he goes straight to the Father, showing us that we can do the same thing in his name. R.C. Sproul says, uh, of kind of this chunk, he says it this way. He says, as I mentioned previously, our had reference both to the hour of Jesus' humiliation and the hour of his exaltation. Because his glory was to come through his shame. And so make no mistake, Jesus has in mind the cross and what's getting ready to happen to him in, in a matter of hours. They, they don't know that. We, we know that. But in the room, they don't know that. And so he, he's talking high of this glory stuff and, and glorify me and, and all of the, the plans that we've set out forever and they're about to happen. But it, it's about to happen through his shame on the cross. So here in the upper room on the night of his betrayal, Jesus was staring at the cross. The hour was no longer remote. It was looming right in front of him. The moment planned by the Trinity from all eternity was at hand. Therefore, Jesus needed to say certain things to God, so he went to him in prayer. <clears throat> he, he says, I, I am one with God, and I'm leaving the world, and I'm heading back home where I belong with the Father. And he says, Jesus and the Father, they shine the same light, and they come from the same place, and they've been one since forever. And you imagine the disciples sitting around just listening to him, and they're like, what? Who is Jesus? Jesus is God. The God who has been from the beginning, he's not taking a back seat. He's, he's sitting with them at dinner and he's having a last words chat in person before he carries out his mission. This leg of the mission of Jesus. It's coming to an end and the cross is the mission and the cross is the glory of Jesus to save what's lost. So in, in order to overcome and give eternal life, Jesus would endure a weekend of death. 
in order to declare us, all who trust in him, not guilty. He had to endure injustice and become our defense. In order to defeat sin, he had to take its best shot and come out unscathed. In order to give eternal life, he took on death and yet he lives. Jesus' work is the glory of God. And in a few hours when he breathes his last, darkness will fall on the earth. But by that darkness, the glory of God shines bright through the mission of God accomplished. Before the foundations of the world and ever since that baby showed up in the manger, what we call Christmas Day, Long before that, but certainly when he showed up in the manger, this was always the final curtain on earth. This was what all of that was moving towards. So when we hear and we embrace and we receive and we trust and we behold and we build our lives around this truth, Jesus is the glory of God and his cross is the crescendo of all the drama, we see all of Christ's work for what it has been the whole time. See, as we've been working through the Gospel of John, John is one of four Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they, they give the account of the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus. And after that, you have the book of Acts that, that says, well, what does the church, what do the apostles, what do the disciples do after he's gone, Right? And then after that, you have letters, the epistles that were written to the local churches to, to try to figure out how to live in light of all these truths. That's kind of how the New Testament is structured. We see John's purpose in all of this is that we might believe and, and in, our believe, in our believing that we might have the fullness of life. That's what John is inviting us into. So he's been showing us this Jesus in little snippets and windows into who he is. And we've been discovering together, but what we see is, is Jesus did some miracles, right? And those miracles were about compassion. You, you think of a, a man born blind since birth, finding sight at 30 years old. You think of the way that he fed the masses with, you know, a, a bag of hot dog buns, Right? And, and a couple fish sticks. And, and you think of him overcoming laws of physics and walking on water. And you think of him telling storms to stop and then they just stopped. He did all of those things because he was compassionate and, and certainly to overcome laws of physics, sure. But all of those things were about putting the fullness of God on display. Who is Jesus? He is He is God. You look at Jesus' teachings and all the things that he said and all the things that we've interacted with, even just through John. They were about wisdom and showing people the way and showing people how to live, sure. But they were about revelation. They were about revealing the truth, eternal truths about the kingdom and the king, the nature of God. And he's inviting us to see those things. Who is this Jesus? He's the fullness of God. You look at the friendships that he's had, and he's been walking with these people for, for three plus years, and they've been 
been hanging out and, and fishing and, and really just living life together? And you think, well, man, what was that about? Well, that is about the nature of God and how he interacts with us. But, but even more, his relationship was about our access to the fullness of God. That we have direct access to who God is. And so we could look at a thousand things in this passage and, and in this book about how Jesus is showing us bigger. And it leads to this question, who is this Jesus? He is God and his work is the glory of God. So he's declaring in this prayer. And while this prayer is a petition, he's asking things from the Father for them, for us, it's also a window. It's a window in all that they have known about God. All of the law and the prophets in the Old Testament, all that they have known about him and all that they have known about this Jesus has been building the very same case that Jesus and the Father are one. So you might say, okay, I, I can buy that. Okay, Jesus is God, okay, or whatever. But then you start, you start talking like this. And you start saying, so what does that mean? Well, it means that there's a, a first century Jew who was born from a woman who hadn't been with a man, who, who grew up and he did miracles and he healed and he, and, he, and he walked on water and he calmed storms and he raised his friend Lazarus from the dead and he did all sorts of things and apparently he built furniture because he was a, a carpenter and he had friendships and he made outrageous claims like that he could forgive sin. He claimed that he would die a brutal death at the hand of God to save mankind from sin because he was God, the only one uniquely able to bridge the gap. He was the divine middleman between us and the righteousness of God. He claimed to be able to give eternal life. When you start talking like that, that might require a defense from you. Jesus is God, okay, yeah. I'm a Christian, okay. What does that actually mean? It means that everything that Jesus has been telling them is true. And that means that we have to do something with that. Like, at the end of the day, when someone says, what, why do you believe that to be true? Do, do you know why I believe that to be true? Do you know why I try to live my life following Jesus? Because I believe this guy died, and I believe he didn't have to, but he chose to. And I believe he died with all of my sin upon him, and he died as a penalty for it. And I believe that he then crawled out of the grave, and I believe that he flew into the sky, sitting at the right hand of the Father, Ruling and reigning and pleading on my behalf. That's, that's why I believe this. And if you say, man, I, I'm in Christ. I'm, you, you get to believe the same truth. The second thing, it's time for point number two, right? And the second thing is this. It's time to show them who they are. So if, if that's who Jesus is, then 
then how does that shape us? Well, let's read together. In, starting in verse 6, you don't have to read out loud. I just mean read together. We can. It would just get awkward eventually. All right. I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they kept your word. Now they know that everything you have given me is from you. For I have given them the words that you gave me. And most believe, like, what is he talking? He's talking about, like, the truth of the gospel. Like, all of that that I just said, that Jesus came and he, and he would die for them, and he would be raised, and, and he would live for them. I gave them your word, and, and they believed it. And they have received them. And they have come to know in truth that I came from you. And they have believed that you sent me. He says, I'm praying for them. And you say, oh gosh, God, I know. He is so good, he, he prays for all of his children. And everyone is his children, right? But then he says something that's just, it's divisive, and it makes those lines like, oh, God just loves everyone as if like, we can just do our thing and not acknowledge him. Listen to what he says. He says, I'm praying for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those whom you've given me. Now look, we don't have all day, but you've got to do something with that. <laughs> you, you get to do something with that. I'm not praying for everyone. I'm not praying for the world. I'm not praying for all of them out there. I'm praying for my people, the ones that you've given me. I'm lifting them up to you. I'm not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. And I know I'm no longer in the world, but they are in the world. And I'm coming to you, Holy Father, keep them in your name. Jesus pleads on our behalf, which you have given me, that they may be one even as we are one. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost except the son of destruction that the scripture might be fulfilled, Judas. And the only reason why he didn't keep him is because he invited him in to do the work that would lead to eternal life. And that's the death of Jesus, the betrayal of Jesus. But now I'm coming to you and these things I speak in the world that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. Who are we? We are his. That, that's who we are. We are his. They are yours and you are mine. And not only, but, but we are the glory of Jesus in the way that we live in this world. The plans have worked. I'm praying, he says. I'm trusting you in this matter. They are kept and they are guarded and they are not lost, but they are secure. In these, uh, in these truths and in Christ, our joy may be full. Who are we? We are his. You may or may not be familiar with the story of the electric toaster. Up until a year ago, if you searched, like, don't do it now, just 
wait till later. But if you searched for like who invented the electric toaster, then you would find this guy named Alan McMasters, right? And, and you would find that he was a Scotsman and he did great things, uh, late 1800s, worked on the railroad. There were some innovations of kind of electric circuit stuff that led him to discover and invent the thing that makes bread good and that is the toaster, right? But that's not true. That's, that is not true at all. In fact, no one knows who invented the toaster. What happened was, Alan's friend, Alex, was sitting in a class, he's 19 years old, and his professor was talking about using primary sources. Like, you, you can't use things like Wikipedia because you find loony stuff out there, like who invented the toaster and whatever. So he says, huh, I wonder who invented the toaster, and he looks it up, and it turns out that no one, no one knows who invented the toaster. So, so Alex, Alan's friend, he says, hey, Alan, wouldn't it be funny if we just told him like, that you invented the toaster? Because Wikipedia, like anybody can just put whatever they want on there. And so Alex, hey, Alan McMasters, he did a little research to make it like credible. And he puts on Wikipedia that Alan McMasters invented the toaster. And, and Alan's like, that's fine, whatever. They'll edit it today and it will be right. A year later, someone says, hey, whatever happened to that thing with like the toaster thing or whatever? And Alex says, I don't know. So he types Alan McMaster's toaster, and guess what happened? He didn't get taken to Wikipedia. He got taken to an article, right? In an article that was claiming that Alan McMaster's invented the toaster. Alan McMaster's from 1890-whatever. And so Alex says, huh. And you know what he does? He cites the article on the Wikipedia page. <laughs> and at that point, you have a real problem right? Gosh, I hope this lands. This is a lot of time. So I'm going to keep going. <laughs> I don't, I'm not sure it's going to, but anyway. So you have a lot of, so, so then he just goes all in and he begins to, to, to make sure that the page is updated. He found himself in an airport where he saw this book of like 10 great Scottish inventors. And you know who was in the book? Alan McMasters. And you know what he did? He cited the book on the Wikipedia page. There, were, there was a, uh, a class project, right, in Scotland, Great Britain. They, they'll all take credit for him, right? Alan McMasters, you know, the great toaster inventor. He, Alan, he said he met someone twice in his life that said, oh, you know, you, have the, you know your namesake was the one who invented the toaster. And Alan's like, oh, my gosh. So he keeps citing these things. In fact, one school... That was, that was like uh, spotlighting famous Scottish inventors. They had Alan McMaster's day. And they just celebrated, and I'm sure they made toast and all this stuff. And so it got out of hand. And I won't tell you the end and how uh, all that came to be. But, but here's the thing. Every single association of electric toaster inventor was linked to that Wikipedia page. And it was false. And unlike Jesus... <laughs> I need to take a walk. I really need to take a walk. Here's my point. We are defined by our association with Jesus. That's my point. Alan McMasters didn't invent the toaster, but anytime you ever read anywhere about him or a toaster, 
it was linked back to that Wikipedia page. And while that was false, and Jesus isn't false, what we get to do is we get to be defined, completely defined in every way by our association with Jesus. He is our primary source for who you are. And look, if you're this big, or you're this big, or you're, you're three, or you're, you're 75, or whatever, or anywhere in between, and you struggle with like your identity, and yet you're, you're trying to find who, uh, who you are, I want you to know the first thing that you get to be identified by is the fact that you are his and he is yours. Everything else flows from that. Everything else. Who are you? I I am his and he is mine. What do I do? And all the things, they they all flow from that. And it's not by your accolades. It's not by your accomplishments. It's not by your influence. It's not by your good works. It's not by your bad works. It's not the worst that you've ever done or the best that you've ever done. Not your past, not your present, not your future, not your failures, not your successes, not your haves or your have nots or, or your parents or the parents that you didn't have or any of those things. All of those things that make you think that you have an identity apart from him, they're all smoke and mirrors and they're all just exposing us as self-consumed glory thieves we don't get to do that we don't have to do that we get to nestle our whole selves in this truth that we are his at one point Dorothy said to the wizard you are a very bad man and he said oh no I'm a very good man debatable but The next thing he says, he says, I'm just a very bad wizard. Dude. We say it all the time, like, we're we're not good at being God. Right? We don't get to take his glory. But, man, we, we get to delight in him and point everything back to him. Every ounce of glory, of identity, of life, it's it's sourced by Jesus and we get to be human and we get to do what we do and contribute and build and uh, create, but we must never be separated from the light of the world that shines bright, the glory of God, and that is Jesus. And so, so the rich truth behind the curtain that Jesus is inviting us into, he came to save the particular ones the Father has given him to save. That's what Jesus came to do. And that's super explicit language, but here's what it means. It might might lend you to a thousand questions, but here's what it means. It means that that Jesus wasn't sent. He didn't come and he didn't die for a chance that some might be saved. As if it depended on us. He came, he was sent, he died, and he rose again so that his people would have eternal life full stop. That gives us, the the, the theme is that we have assurance in the work that he's doing. That we get to repent and believe, we get to turn from ourselves, and we get to trust him for all that we're not. It means that, that so much as we believe and have faith in these realities, then all of this is ours. Jesus reveals that, that his work and his mission 
and his glory is, is to die the death and, and shed the blood for those whom the Father has given him. And, and those he has been given will not slip through his grip. They will not be lost. They will not be forgotten or misplaced. They will be saved from hell and sin and Satan and self and judgment and shame and the grave. And so in just a few hours when he cries out, it is finished. You know what? The beauty of it is that, that it is finished, that the work is done, and he has done that for us. The world's a tough place to be if you love Jesus, but he's a great savior, and, and we don't have to travel the long, winding road with, with lions and tigers and bears and all the things out to get us because he has traveled the winding road to rescue and to find us. And so we're gonna ask the question, so what? Well, it's time for the third point. And the third point is this. It's time to show them how to live. This is what Jesus says. He says, I've, I've given them your word. And the, word. and the world has hated them because they are not of the world. Just as I am not of the world, I do not ask that you take them out of the world. On my worst days, that's, that's what I'm drunk to like. Come, Lord Jesus, just, just take us out of this. He says, I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one while they're in the world. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify, it means to set apart, right? Set them apart in your truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I I dedicate myself that they also may be set apart in truth. What's our purpose? What, what is the full life? What is, uh, how, how do I define success? Is it to please my dad? Is it to please all of you? Is it comfort? Is it all the stuff? Is it that I wouldn't have to work nights and weekends? What is it that, that defines success for you? What is it that sets the mission of your life? What is your purpose? He tells us that, that our purpose is to be on mission for his glory. And you might say, can you give me a couple bullet points to make that a little easier? And maybe I will at the end and maybe I won't. But, but here's what it means. It means that you have a primary objective. And, and the way I've been praying for my life and, and for us is, is my primary objective is to know, to trust, to treasure the fullness of God above everything else. I think that's what we get to do, to know and to trust and to treasure the fullness of God above everything else, and we get to delight in that, and we get to invite others into the same thing. And when we do that, God's glory is on display. So, so all of your attempts to live a holy life, do, do that. You should attempt to do that. All of your attempts to be 
righteous and, and all of your reading plans and, 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 and time that you spend in, in Bible study and in community and being shaped by others and, and singing and praying and all of your dependence, all of those things in and of themselves or as the ends are nothing. But, but when we couch all of those things as an opportunity to let God be glorified through us, they're everything. And, and what Jesus tells us is not only are they everything, but that is the sweet spot for you to live a life that's chalked full of joy. And he keeps doing that, just tying back our delight in this life to him, that the fullness of life, the, the best life is our life in him. Here's what it means. It means that your life has a mission, every single one of you. Well, I haven't been this, and I haven't done, and you don't know. Yeah, it, it doesn't matter. That's the beauty of it, that your life has a mission. Your life has a purpose, and it could show up a thousand ways, but you're not rescued to simply be preserved until the end. You are rescued so that you might be sent to engage. See, it's a crazy thing that, that people think that, that when we're saved by grace alone, and we are, like, like the saving work is God's initiative, and, and he reaches out and he snatches us up. But we think that like, gosh, we're saved by grace alone, and, and that means that, that what we do doesn't matter. And that is a lie. What we do does matter. And what I would say even further, that's not an anti-gospel, but that is the result of the living gospel, that our lives are transformed, that, that grace transforms our purpose and it compels us to action. Because of grace, we get to walk in the good works that God has laid out before us, before the foundations of the earth. And the one giving the orders isn't your foreman at work or your office manager or your principal or a parent or your local mayor or governor or president. The one giving you purpose is the one sent from heaven to bring heaven down so that we might join the mission of bringing his people home. And it will feel like you are not in Kansas anymore. And that's what Jesus has been telling us chap like for several chapters that, that you are in a world that's not your home. And yet, I'm not praying that you come out of that. I'm praying that you're sent into that. We tend to replace our life in Christ and following him with, with other good things like community and, and knowledge and, and whatever it is. And, and my guy, Clay Burnett, and community group this week was was talking about the, the passage just before this, and he said, at this point with the disciples, it, it seems obvious that they are mindful of their relationship with Jesus, the person, but they're like unsure of what's there beyond that. And, and here Jesus invites us behind the curtain to show, it's, it's not just a friendship that they had with this guy who did some cool things. They've been living right next to eternal God. And right here, he's, he's, he's trying to let them see. And, and what he said just before this, he says, I'll be fine. I'm leaving you. I'll be fine because I will be with the Father. And they're like, okay. So, so, so many Christians build their relationship 
with, with a false middleman. And we find ourselves identifying our life as like part of the village or part of a local church or, or part of community. Community is the most important thing to me and I'm just gonna live life with others or maybe it's a person or, or a ministry or maybe you're in parachurch stuff and, and like crew or navigators or young life or, or whatever is your life or maybe you're just like, like into activism and you replace all of those things as a false middleman that, that can't bear the weight that only Jesus, the true and living God, can. He's the middleman, and he's also the man. And, and no other can stand in that place. And, and it doesn't mean that you leave here and you say, oh my gosh, I'm so empowered. I'm going to go, like, I'm going to change the world. Go change the world. Fine. But you know what you should also do? You should also pay your taxes. <laughs> and you should contribute and you should use the gifts that God's given you to make the people around you, to, to, to benefit their life, to proclaim truth boldly, to care genuinely, to love exceedingly. This prayer from Jesus, it sets us up to see through the haze and find who Jesus is and who we are and what both mean for how we live and what he's saying is, is we get to join the mission to bring rescue, to define purpose, to bring joy to the world. Can I say that when it's not December? Can I even say the words joy to the world? Right? And here's the thing. The way that shows up, the, the, the voice that the church gets to play, the voice that you get to have in this world, outside of this basement Outside of the kingdom, it's, it's varied and it's debated and it's uncertain. And at times you might find yourself like feeling tensions or feeling really difficult. Gosh, I feel like I should say something, but I don't want to say the wrong thing. Or I, I feel like I should do something, but I don't want to do the wrong thing. And, and, and you might find yourself feeling divided. Jesus is, is painting the picture. He's saying you're not, you're not living at home and you're going to feel that way. And I don't have all of the answers, but this is what I would tell you. There, there are engagement paradigms, and, and some embrace every value of the world, and they're indistinguishable of the world. They've lost their light. They've, they've lost their saltiness to make things better. And some swing hard the other way, and they reject the idea of being in the world altogether. And you probably find yourself somewhere in there. And what I would tell you is, is these people, or these, they're not your enemy, and it's not going to look the same for all of us, and, and maybe we'll get to tease this out a bit next week, but, but the one thing is it's, it's a bizarre time when the church is viewed as, as the immoral one in the culture that we live in, and we get to acknowledge that, and we get to say, man, that feels weird when I stand and sit under biblical convictions, and I get accused of whatever, and you have enemies to the left and enemies to the right. Is that just me, or is that you? I think it's us. And so what I would tell you is culture swings and Jesus is unmoved. And so when you find yourself feeling the tensions of like, I, I think I just need to, I think I just need to sit over here and you leave the anchor or man, I think I just, life would be easier if I just sit over here. I'll just say, don't. Like culture will swing 
And in 10, 20, 30 years, the enemy of today will be tomorrow's hero. What we get to do is, is we get to hold fast to the king the one who holds all things together. We get to be careful of, of being known for what we are against. And we get to let everything that you are promote the truth and the glory of Jesus. The bank can come on up and I'll give you a couple like, so what do I do with this? You ready? So what? Behold God. That. That's your action step. Be purposed to know and follow Jesus. Believe and, and build your faith. Know why you believe what you believe. Pray. Ask him to let you behold him. The second thing is we get to be known by God. And that means that we get to be purposed to let him shape all of life. Look, when you mess up this week, don't run from him, run to him. Man, I, my son, <clears throat> he'll text me from school or whatever in this past week, uh, dad, and you know, whether it's like I'm not feeling well or like I did well on the test or whatever, but, but he texts me this, all right? I'll be like sitting in my office and I'll get a text and it's from Titus and it just says, Dad. Yes, right? That's kind of, it's kind of odd, you know? But like, it makes me smile because I'm like, one, like, hey, my son is thinking of me. That's cool. And two, like, the fact that he just says, Dad, it's like, huh, like, he knows us, right? And and I think we get to interact. I'm not God in this. Uh, you get it. <laughs> we get to lean in and just be like, hey, hey, Dad. Like, life is really hard. Can you help? Hey, Dad. Life is really good. Thanks. All right, and we get to join the mission of God. You don't have to be a, a pastor. You don't have to be a missionary. You don't have to cure cancer or have a community center named after you you got to live in such a way that puts the truth and the faithfulness and the love and the grace and the way and the glory of Jesus on display as the fullness of life and the fulfillment of joy. Right? And I'm here to figure that out together. Right? We're going to respond. You can sit right where you are. You can stand up and sing with the band. You can go over there and pray by yourself. If you'd like to pray with someone, you can find someone by that red tree. would love to pray with you. If you're in Christ and you say, yes, like maybe you're struggling, maybe you're not, maybe your faith is full, maybe it's small, but your confidence is in Christ, man, you get to take communion and it's just, it's just bread and, and juice. And it reminds us and it lets us declare whose we are that his body was broken, that his blood was spilt, and that is the thing that gives us our life. Would you pray with me? God, thanks for your goodness, your grace. Thanks for cool illustrations about toasters. Thanks for modeling for us what it looks like to pray to our Father. Thanks for giving us songs to sing, prayers to pray, burdens to bear, people to build up, would you let us be people who, who find ourselves in you? In Jesus' name, amen.